thank you for tuning in to the Black Talk Radio Network. My name is Angel Fall, and this is Victims to Victorious. Each and every week, we take a look at the impact of epidemiology, also known as public health, on gun violence. During this pandemic of 2020, we have taken a look in the last couple of shows on the intersection of other uh, epidemiological concerns within the public health realm and its connection to the coronavirus. Today's show is called Lockdown and Beat Up. We're taking a look at how the domestic violence incidents have escalated in this pandemic, not only here in our broadcast area and across the United States, but around the world. So I want to um, have the listeners listen to me read from an article called Coronavirus Isolation Raises Concern for Domestic Violence. And if you are following me online, if you've got your computer, you can type in the name of that article again, Coronavirus Isolation Raises Concern for Domestic Violence. If you are listening and can't uh, pull over or don't have the ability to follow me uh, by looking at the article, you can send me a direct message on Twitter, Angel Fall. I do respond to direct messages, and I will send you the article. I also want to send a, war, a caveat out here. If you are a woman or a man listening to me and you believe you have been victimized by domestic violence, you can call 1-800-799-7233. That's 1-800-799-7233. And actually, um, that line, believe it or not, can take text now. That's what it says. If you are in Ohio, you can call 330-374-1111, 330-374-1111, and um, I'll give out some other uh, ways that you can get help. So in this pandemic, we are noticing that the coronavirus isolation, the lockdown, as the title calls it, the stay-at-home orders, are um, causing environments where two people in intimate partner relationship are having conflicts. It's the stress of illness, maybe. It's the stress of not knowing the illness. It's the stress of not being able to see others go to work. The financial constraints, maybe one person's getting unemployment, one person isn't. Maybe one person gets to work from home and one person doesn't. So these are all the pressures in the relationship that have already been um, testy, already have been unstable, and the uh, social workers and other stakeholders are particularly interested in relationships where there have been reported domestic violence incidents, and then they have they don't know perhaps that they've escalated because um, some people are not allowed to leave their homes and get help. So I'm going to read from this article. It showed up on Spectrum News One. Coronavirus isolation raises concern for domestic violence. We're generally concerned that domestic violence is going up, going to go up right now as people are forced to stay together in their homes, said Stephen McGarity, executive director of the Community Legal Aid in Akron. I pulled this article off a website in Akron, Ohio. It's it's a few, it's about 40 miles from Cleveland uh, because we are broadcasting in this area. We're, we are going to take a look as time allows, at incidents around the world, and particularly in New York City, where there is a um, where there are the most cases. So, according to the National Domestic Violence Hotline, 
On average, 24 people per victim are victims of rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner. That equates to more than 12 million women and men over the course of a year. If they're at home with their abuser and they are at the emotional and financial stressors, it's easy to assume that stress is going to be high and it's going to initiate a domestic violence event, said Nathan Chambers, Director of Services Hope and Healing Survivor Resource Center. Chambers has, says the 24-hour hotline at Hope and Healing Survivor Resource Center is already receiving more calls since Ohio State Home Order took effect. Our hotline, our 24-hour hotline, is still completely open. The doors to our shelter are still completely open. We're doing our best to prepare for what might be an uptick in domestic violence or sexual assault, says Chambers. Our therapists are all on telehealth. And step away from the article, telemed, telehealth, these are ways that you can access your healthcare provider through your electronic device. Uh, before the pandemic, not as many people were using it. I certainly, when I used to sell insurance, I signed up people for it on various plans. If you're listening to the podcast right now and you have a senior in your family, find out if they are able to access their doctor on their phone. Some, some medical practices are sending out a link, and if your adult relative has that much computer savviness or can work their iPhone, they tap on the link, and then they're able to, to register with their name and a few things, and they can be connected. Some places are sending these links out for free. Other places, they are part of your, um, your Medicare supplement. Our hotline, 24-hour hotline, is still completely open. The doors to our shelter are still completely open, and we're doing our best to prepare for what might be an uptick in domestic violence or sexual assault, said Chambers. I'm connecting that to the next piece. Our therapists are all doing telehealth, which I mentioned. In the state of Ohio, domestic violence hearings and civil protection order are considered essential, but with limited access to courts right now, it still poses a challenge for victims. The challenge is that when people show up at court to get protective orders, they usually have the assistance of advocates from the domestic violence shelters who can help them through the process. But the shelter advocates are generally, um, they're generally not, this is me talking, they're not really trained to be lawyers, they're just advocates. While resources during the virus outbreak remain limited, Hope and Healing wants people to know that, the, that their lines of communication will always stay open. You're not alone. We are here for you, and there are many other agencies just like us that are here for you, and our doors are open. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, contact Hope and Healing's 24-hour hotline at 330-374-1111, and that's because we're broadcasting here in Ohio. Ohio has several several area codes, but the one closest to Akron is 330-774-1111. One 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 one. That's four ones if I misspoke. Also, if you're listening and you need help, you can call. If you're listening outside of Ohio, the National Domestic Violence Hotline at one eight hundred seven nine nine seven two three three. Now, in victims to victorious, we always talk about gun violence. So, of course, those of you who have been following me for a while know that we discussed how the fatalities in the home go up when there is access to guns. We've done a couple of shows during the pandemic where we look at the influence of the pandemic on violence, for instance. So if you want to review some of that, you can go to the Black Talk Radio Network, 
and look at Love to Death Part 1, Love to Death Part 2, Love to Death Part 3. Those are, look for the big, the big emblem that says V2V that um, my sound engineer, Scotty, read created that graphic and you'll see we have a couple of shows that address that we also did a show where we addressed the fact that guns uh were coming off the shelves empty shelves no guns no toilet paper and that we broadcast on uh february 13th so what i want you to do as a critical thinker is to think about the fact that people are locked down the guns have run out of the guns have run out of the store, just like the toilet paper. And now you're sitting there watching TV all day with a man who has beaten you and committed other coercive acts, and he has a loaded weapon and has been drinking. These are true scenarios that are going on right now. And we're going to revisit the relationship between guns and violence. And again, we're looking at the context of the pandemic, the influence of lockdown, financial stresses, all on relationships that were already volatile. And of course, some relationships have become volatile because the people, the intimate partners have not spent that much time together. We're, We're going to take a look now and review what is domestic violence for the listeners. Because some people are sitting there saying, well, you know, he's never beaten me, but he never likes, he never likes when I dye my hair blonde. He's never beaten me, but he threatens to take the dog to the shelter. He's never laid his hands on me, but he will pull out his weapon and threaten to kill everyone in the house. He's never beaten me, but I always have to um, have my paycheck deposited in his account, and I can never get any money out unless he gives it to me. Those could be signs. I'm going to review the signs, and then we're going to get to the relationship of guns and domestic violence and try to tie all this up with um, by reading some of the um, warnings from Antonia Gutierrez, who works at the World Health Organization. So what is domestic violence? Domestic violence, also called intimate partner violence, domestic abuse or relationship abuse is a pattern of behavior used by one partner to maintain power and control over another partner in an intimate relationship. Domestic violence does not discriminate. Anyone of any race, age, sexual orientation, orientation, religion, or gender can be a victim or perpetrator of domestic violence. It can happen to people who are married, living together, or who are dating. It affects people of all socioeconomic backgrounds and education levels. Here, I'm going to put in as one who's interpreting the data and amplifying concepts for you, that many many people who try to pay for these cases are hindered, their hands are tied because the relationship of in, the definition of intimate partner violence might be too tight. There are some places that still, some jurisdictions in America, where the person has to be your legal spouse or former spouse, or the person you have to have had biological children with the person. Some states are allowing for looser interpretations because a lot of times a stalker, especially in this day and age of media, social media, you could have a stalker who you've actually never seen or interacted with. You could have a stalker from Los Angeles and you live in Reno, Nevada. You could have a stalker in Reno, Nevada and you live in Roxbury, Massachusetts. So some of the courts have been too slow to interpret who 
who could be potentially violent towards you. Returning to the article, domestic violence includes behaviors that physically harm, arouse fear, prevent a partner from doing what they wish, or force them to behave in ways that they do not want. It includes the use of physical and sexual violence, threats and intimidation, emotional abuse, and economic deprivation. I mentioned some of those at the top. Many of these different forms of domestic violence abuse can be occurring at any one time within the same intimate relationship. So in other words, the the writer of this article, this article appears at the um, hotline.org slash is hyphen this hyphen abuse. And uh, this, the author of this article is not named, at least in my printout, but the website is there. Wants you to understand that if you have a series of these behaviors within your intimate partner relationship, that is a red flag. A lot of times the victim is looking for one seminal event. But what this article is warning you, it's a series of smaller events based on the behavior of the perpetrator. And at first they could even be called microaggressions. We use that word when we deal with racism. Uh, When white people are prejudiced towards black people in a way that isn't threatening to lynch you or shoot you or run you out of town. Instead, they use language like, well, why is it that you earned that college degree? How is it that you know that? What are you doing here? Um, A lot of times in modern society, white people interpret black and brown professionals as the health only, the cleaning staff only. I recently saw something on Instagram where a black firefighter got off the truck and responded to a call and the white neighbors called 911. So these are microaggressions. Returning to the article, it's called the hot, uh, written at the hotline.org. Here at the hotline, we use the power and control wheel to describe most accurately what occurred in an abusive relationship. Think of the wheel as a diagram of the tactics an abusive partner uses to keep their victim in the relationship. While the inside of the wheel is comprised of subtle, continual behaviors, the outer ring represents physical, visible violence. These are the abusive acts that are more overt and forceful, and often the intense acts that reinforce the regular use of other more subtle methods of abuse. I want that to sink in a little bit. So I know you cannot see the wheel, but I'm going to describe some of the behaviors of the wheel. And um, we are tying this into the global pandemic. pandemic has pushed domestic violence cases up all over the world. And in the United States, we have, as a Western society, we have the most number of women killed by handguns over any other society. And I'm going to get that data for you a little bit later in the program. So defining what these things are is real important. I'm going to give you read from the domestic violence wheel, and I'm going to remind the listeners that this is Victim to Victorious, where we take a look at gun violence in the United States as an epidemic. So now, since, since March, many of us are experiencing a lockdown because of the pandemic of the coronavirus. So COVID-19 has put a strain on the society, and that strain has a ripple effect. It puts a strain on intimate partner relationships. And the intimate partner relationships where there has been a framework for domestic violence, these, these relationships 
are turning violent. Using coercion and threats, making and or carrying out threats to do something to hurt her, threatening to leave her, to commit suicide, to report her to welfare, making her drop charges, making her do illegal things. We mentioned this also in straw purchasing, a show we did a while back. Very often a straw purchaser is a female or a man who cannot obtain a gun. Using intimidation, making her afraid by using looks, actions, gestures, smashing things, destroying her property, abusing, abusing pets, displaying weapons. I'm going to add abusing children here. Using emotional abuse, putting her down, making her feel bad about herself, calling her names, making her think she's crazy, playing mind games, humiliating her, making her feel guilty, using isolation. Now, right now, many of us listening to this podcast are isolated. The isolation levels are, there's a a continuum of isolation levels. But here in Ohio, where I have been stuck since March 22nd, we are on a lockdown. The stores have limited hours. The stores are asking people to wipe off their carts outside and bring them in if you're going to grocery shop. Some, some places have lines outside, outside, outside the store with spatial distancing markers outside of the door. Some stores have signs that say, you can only come in here with one family member. So the whole society is on lockdown and in isolation. So just imagine what that's like if you are in a relationship where your reprieve was to get up and go to work, and now you're sitting at home, like I said, watching Netflix with someone who does these things. So let's list some more of these behaviors. The idea here, idea here on Victim to Victorious is that you are informed about the public health rules and postulates. And here we're looking at the intersection of public health prevention within a pandemic for women and men who are subject to domestic violence. Going back to the chart, using emotional abuse, putting her down, making her feel bad about herself, calling her names, making her think she's crazy, playing mind games, humiliating her, making her feel guilty, using isolation, controlling what she does, who she sees and talks to, what she reads, where she goes, limiting her outside involvement, using jealousy to justify actions. There are notorious domestic abusers who all of a sudden, after they marry you or move in with you or whatever they do to solidify the relationship, all of a sudden now, they don't want you to talk to your mother. They don't want you to talk to your coworkers. They don't want you to talk to your sister. They don't want you to talk to your neighbors. Maybe you had children with someone else before you moved in. They don't want you to talk to your baby daddy. Minimizing, denying, and blaming making light of the abuse and not taking her concerns about it seriously, saying that abuse didn't happen, shifting responsibility for abusive behavior, saying she caused it. I know of women, if you ask them about the marks on their face, they're going to say, well, you know, I shouldn't have done that. And you say, well, what did you do? And she says, well, I I made the grits lumpy. I'm just going to leave that out there. If you don't know what grits are, type it in on your phone. Using children, making her feel guilty about the children. Using the children to relay messages. Using visitation to harass her. Threatening to take the children away. 
using male privilege, treating her like a servant, making all the big decisions, acting, acting like the master of the house, being the one to, de- to define men's and women's roles, using economic abuse, preventing her from getting or keeping a job, making her ask for money, giving her an allowance, taking her money, not letting her know or have access to family income, using coercion and threats, making or carrying out threats to do something to hurt her, threatening to leave her, to commit suicide, to report her to welfare, making her drop charges, making her do illegal things. And I came full circle. I'm completely aware that I read that one twice because the coercion can be very, very subtle. Because one of the things about the coercion, threatening to leave, it pulls directly on your emotional part. And then you begin, that allows you to gain empathy for the abuser. Well, I don't want you to leave. You were not living in a nice house. You were living in the shelter when we met. You were sleeping in your car. So they're pulling your emotional strings. And when you give them empathy, they take power and control away from you. So here's a little bit more from that article, thehotline.org. Uh, we are, we've been on the air now for about 22 minutes. I'm Angel Fall. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Victims to Victorious. And the short title of this show is Lockdown and Beat Up. Returning to the article, The Hotline, in fact, many abusive partners may seem absolutely perfect in the early stages of relationship. Possessiveness and controlling behaviors don't always appear overnight, but rather emerge and intensify as the relationship grows. In my training in domestic violence, uh, our trainer gave us a scenario and she said, um, one of the things that she had observed and warned us about if when I used to counsel women uh, who were victims is that they would start a relationship with a man and it would be the first date. And I, and you would, young lady would come down the steps. And you know, if you're a young lady, it's your first date, whether you're a teenager or a divorcee, you spend a lot of time on your clothes, whatever money you have. If you buy your dress at the Salvation Army, you wash it. You make sure it's an up-to-date style. It fits. If you um, don't wear makeup normally, you put some on for that date. Maybe you don't wear perfume. You put some on for that date. And you come downstairs and he sees you. And a normal man is going to say, oh, you look so beautiful. But the domestic violence abuser is going to say, well, I don't like to go out with a woman in a red dress. But you're so happy. It's your first date. You go upstairs and change it. Maybe you change it to a black one and you come downstairs and he says, you look like, you know, you're going to church. I don't want to go out with a lady who looks like she's going to church. You go back upstairs and you change it again. These are warning signs. He's controlling your appearance. And the hidden context here is the jealousy. If your body was banging in that red and black dress, now you know, if you listen to me, he didn't want anyone to see how pretty your body was, how fit you were. You wear the black dress and he decides it's too tight or it's too matronly. So these are subtle signs. Domestic violence, returning to the article, domestic violence doesn't look the same in every relationship because every relationship is different. But one thing most abusive relationships have in common is that the abusive partner does many 
different kinds of things to have more power and control over their partner. Some of the signs of an abusive relationship include a partner who tells you you can never do anything right, shows extreme jealousy of your friends and time spent away, keeps you or discourages you from seeing friends or family members, insults, demeans, or shames you with put-downs, controls every penny spent in the household, takes your money or refuses to give you money for necessary expenses, looks at you or acts in ways that scare you, controls who you are, where you go, or what you do, prevents you from making your own decisions, tells you that you are a bad parent or threatens to harm or take away your children, prevents you from working or attending school, destroys your property or threatens to hurt or kill your pets, intimidates you with guns, knives, or other weapons. Later on the program, we're going to take a look at the way guns are used to threaten, the gun handles used to beat, bullets are discharged to scare you. All these things can occur in the domestic violence relationship. And, of course, on Victims to Victorious, we want to know what the public health epidemiology is here, how these acts can be prevented, how these incidents can go down. This is no different from the pandemic of coronavirus because we've all heard and this show expouses on the fact that violence, especially gun violence, is an epidemic in the United States of America. Returning to the list, pressures you to have sex when you don't want to or do things sexually you're not comfortable with, pressures, pressures you to use drugs or alcohol. So those, that is part of the list that further explains what is domestic violence. We took a look at the wheel. If you want me to send you the wheel, send a uh, direct message to me, On Air Angel on Twitter. That is the power and control wheel that you can find on the hotline.org, on the hotline.org. We define domestic violence, also called intimate partner violence, as domestic abuse or relationship abuse. It's a pattern of behavior used by one partner to maintain power and control over another partner in an intimate relationship. If you are listening and you're wondering how all of this is connected, we've got about, uh, we have about 32 minutes more to go. We're going to explain more of this. The pandemic has caused people all around the world to be isolated and locked down with people that they normally would not have seen for such a long period of time, for people that um, they have to share a space with, a bed with, a kitchen with, and the tensions of being together 24 hours have escalated for many couples all around the world. The title of today's show is Lockdown and Beat Up, Domestic Violence Escalates in the Pandemic. You are listening to Victims to Victorious on the Black Talk Radio Network. And my name is Angel Fall. We do have a station ID coming up. And at, after we return from the break, we are going to, to read, I'm going to read an article called Horrifying Global Surge in Domestic Violence Under Coronavirus Shutdown Prompts the UN, that's the United Nations, to actually call for a ceasefire. And a very famous UN official 
Uh, his name is uh, Secretary, Gener Gen Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez addresses the world about this. So we will return with the article that features him. Uh, you can find that on the New York Daily News dot com coronavirus slash New York hyphen coronavirus hyphen domestic violence hyphen surge. And that's if you wish to find the article again, you can direct message me and I will send you the message. If you um, have never listened to us before and you want to get yourself up to date on the um, some of the other shows we've done during the pandemic, our broadcasted show on March, I'm sorry, April 13th, Empty Shelves, No Guns, No Toilet Paper. And the series that we did, that's related to today's topic. We did a three-part series on domestic violence, the first one airing February 3rd. Of course, the coronavirus was already in America at that time. Um, the first one is called Love to Death. The second one in the series is Female Fatalities, Murder, and Mayhem. And we are going to return with some more information for you. I'm Angel Fall, and we'll be back after this break. Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. Okay, thank you, Scotty, my sound engineer and founder of the Black Talk Radio Network. We are going to look at this article now, which appeared in the New York Daily News. Um, it was originally published on April 7th, two days after my birthday, which is April 5th. I hope I get a... a a listener or two to send me a belated birthday greeting. I'm Angel Fall, and you can reach me on Twitter at On Air Angel. Um, this show is inspired by the work of Lisa Rose Rodriguez, an epidemiologist. You can find her on LinkedIn, Lisa Rose hyphen Rodriguez. And um, we're going to do what I promised. Here's the article: Horrifying global surge in domestic violence under coronavirus shutdown prompts the UN, which is the United Nations, call for a ceasefire. It has a picture of the Inspector Gutierrez. Amid a horrifying global surge in domestic violence, the United Nations called for a ceasefire and peace at home. A vulnerable people sheltering in place amid the corona pandemic are at the mercy of their tormentors, which every, with everyone under enormous strain. Peace is not just the absence of war, United Nations Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez said in a statement, referring to his recent call for a halt to fighting around the world. Many women are under lockdown for COVID-19, face violence when they're where they should be safest in their own homes. Today, I appeal for peace in homes around the world. I urge all governments to put women's, women's safety first as they respond to this pandemic. Reports from countries in every region suggest that restrictions in movement, social isolation, coupled with increased social and economic pressures are leading to an increase in violence in the home. And if you just tuned in, uh, the title of our show today is Lockdown and Beat Up. That's the short version. We're taking a look at domestic violence it, within the context of the pandemic of COVID-19, and because we are broadcasting from America, we're going to take, take a look at 
why women in our country are most likely to be victimized by firearms. Even before the pandemic, statistics show that one in three women will experience violence during their lifetime, UN Deputy Secretary General Amina Mohammed said. He added the rate is two out of three women in Papua New Guinea, noting that these statistics don't count countries with weak reporting systems. My concern today is for all women across the world who are suffering even more now due to the extra economic and social stresses caused by a radical shift away from normal life, Mohammed said. This stress is leading to an increased danger of violence. It's clear that when women and girls are locked down in their homes with abusive partners, they are at much greater risk than ever before. The UN's call to action comes just after the World Health Organization. Sometimes we see that abbreviated as WHO raised the alarm on Friday, citing similar statistics and noting that a marked increase in calls for help. Making the issue even more complex is that along with the lockdown and its attendant strains on services comes an intended increase in violence related to stigma against the virus itself, Mohammed says. Now this, I'm stepping with the article, that particular thing I used to see when I did HIV AIDS work. It's kind of a conundrum, a circuitous loop. You're scared about your partner, but your partner gave you HIV. You haven't had sex with anyone but him, but he wants to whoop that ass and blame you for giving it to him when the healthcare professionals can prove he gave it to you. But you have to live with him because you were not working the whole time. These are some of the scenarios that real women have been faced with and I have seen in my professional counseling. Making the issue even more complex is that along with the lockdown and its attendant strains on services comes an attendant increase in violence relating to stigma against the virus itself. I'm tying that up together by repeating it. We are not seeing just a huge increase in the number of women and girls being abused, but also a greater complexity to the violence being perpetrated. The upsurge has documented has been documented worldwide. I began this show, Lockdown and Beat Up, with explaining that this is a pandemic. This is an epidemic that reaches across the ocean, across borders, across time zones. And there is a trend within the pandemic of domestic violence. The upsurge has been documented worldwide, including Argentina, China, Germany, Turkey, Honduras, South Africa, the United Kingdom, and the United States, among others. In many countries, the number of helpline calls have doubled doubled over the same time period last year. In New York City, the NYPD Commissioner Dermot Shea expressed concern last week that victims may not be calling for help as much during the shutdown. Around the world, innovative solutions are cropping up. The one reason why the victims are not calling is because their perpetrator is in the house. Maybe you haven't been working and you can't get your cell phone back on. Maybe you don't have a job anymore. Maybe he didn't let you have a job in the first place. Around the world, innovative solutions are cropping up, such as designating pharmacies and groceries as safe spots that victims can come to ask for a call to police if necessary. In some countries, including France, unoccupied hotel rooms have been made available to house people who cannot go home, to house people who cannot go home. Domestically, the 2.2 trillion coronavirus economic legislation legislation that Congress passed last month 
allocates $45 million for family violence shelters and $2 million for the National Domestic Violence Hotline, as Huffington Post reported. In Hartford, Connecticut, a special police unit has been added to address domestic violence complaints, the Associated Press reported Tuesday. Gutierrez says measures such as those amid aimed at preventing and redressing violence should be the cornerstone of each country's COVID-19 response plan. So take a look at what he's saying. The, the, the United Nations official is saying that when there is a pandemic and you have to practice social dis- distancing and isolation in your domicile, that the plan for preventing the disease should also include outreach and preventing domestic violence. Additional measures include increasing investment in online services and civil society organizations, enabling continued judicial prosecution of abusers, designating shelters or essential services, keeping behind bars those prisoners convicted of violence against women in any form, and scaling up public awareness campaigns especially those aimed at men and boys, the United Nations said. So this article um, came from the, um, this article is from the, U, this article is called the UN Decries Coronavirus Domestic Violence Spike, and it was in the New York Daily News. And of course, um, I want to quote, I think it's fitting to say again what Gutierrez says, is peace is not the absence of war. Many women under lockdown for COVID-19 face violence where they should be safest in their own homes. Today, I appeal for peace in homes around the world. I urge all governments to put women's safety first as, as a response to the pandemic. So if you're sitting at home in isolation and you're not a victim, but I do want you to think about, do you know someone who is? How can you reach out to them by keeping yourself safe? In some countries in in Asia and Europe, for instance, women who are allowed to go to the pharmacy can give the pharmacist a cold word, a safe word. And, of course, the pharmacist already has your information, your script, where he's delivering it to, where you live, your doctor, and the intervention plan can begin. So here in the United States, domestic violence often takes the place of a mortal mortal or morbidity injury based on a discharge of a firearm, very often a handgun. This article is from the lawcentergiffords.org. For the millions of American women and children affected by domestic violence every year, guns in the hands of a domestic abuser pose a serious and lethal threat. In fact, when an abuser has access to a gun, a domestic violence victim is five times more likely to be killed. Laws that keep guns out of the hands of the abusers save lives. Reading again from the Gifford Law Center.giffords.org. Firearm access <clears throat> helps to fuel domestic violence. An abuser's access to firearms is a serious threat to victims, making it five times more likely that a woman would be killed. And of course, we're talking about here in the United States where there are more guns in circulation than people. And guns and toilet papers were removed unserotypously. That's the word if I'm saying it right. They were removed without compunction 
by people who were hoarding at the beginning of this lockdown pandemic. Domestic violence assaults involve a gun, involving a gun are 12 times more likely to result in death than those involving other weapons or bodily force. Every year, more than 600 American women are shot to death by intimate partners. The Gifford Law Center says that that happens every 14 hours. In fact, firearms are used to commit more than half of all intimate partner homicides in the United States. So preparing for the show, I saw estimates that said the number of 911 calls have have gone up. I also saw articles that said it hadn't, but instead hotline phone calls had gone up. So the data is mixed and we're still enduring the epidemic. So not until we're through the epidemic will the data be really good. Those of you who have been following me uh, since last, last year know that what I ask you to understand that when data is collected, um, when data is collected, you have to have a retrospective look at it to see what the real trends are. So some hotlines are reporting they have an increase in calls, especially in New York City. New York City, some hotlines are saying they don't have an increase. And I'm, I'm suggesting that they don't because the abuser is staring down the victim's face every day and he or she does not have the opportunity to make the call. So right now the data is mixed but in terms of the hotlines. But we do know that the trips, the police calls have gone up for domestic violence. In preparing for the show, um, I discovered some jurisdictions are responding more, but because of the virus, they no longer come into your house. They ask the parties to come outside. Returning to the article, if you want to follow me um, online, it's at the Giffords Law Center. The article is called Domestic Violence and Firearms. In fact, firearms are used to commit more than half of all intimate partner homicides in the United States. The death toll extends to mass shootings in more than half of mass shootings where four or more people were killed, the shooter killed an intimate partner, and one analysis found that nearly a third of mass shooters had a history of domestic violence. I would add here someone like Adam Lanza, for instance. He kills his mother first. Abusers' access to guns have has other serious consequences as well, including injuries and threats to victims. When I was defining domestic violence earlier, I talked about coercion, threats, threatening to kill you, threatening to kill you and your children, threatening to kill your children, threatening to kill your pet, threatening to kill a loved one, using the, pulling the gun out, discharging bullets around your head or face, shooting in the ceiling. In two-thirds of cases in which a gun was present, in the home in which the abuser and victim cohabitated. The abuser used the firearm against the victim, usually usually threatening to injure or kill her. With our high rate of domestic violence related domestic violence related gun violence, the US is the most dangerous country in the developed world when it comes to women and guns. Women in the U.S. are 21 times more likely, read it again, women in the U.S. are 21 times more likely to be killed with a gun than women in other high-income countries. Strengthening federal law and state laws. And, of course, the Gifford Center always wants to promote advocacy and change through legal action and upholding 
of certain public health preventions so that gun violence is in fact reduced in our society because this is an epidemic of gun violence that I have been discussing all along and now we have layered it with a pandemic of COVID-19. Background checks stop abusers from getting guns. One in nine background check denials are connected to domestic abuse and more than 300,000 domestic abusers have been blocked from buying guns by the federal background check system since its inception. Yet, federal law does not require a background check to be performed before every sale of a gun, including sales by unlicensed private sellers. This allows prohibited abusers to turn to private sellers to access guns. For more information, see our page on universal background checks. A few months back, we did we did address on Victims to Victorious the phenomenon of the straw purchaser. And a lot of times, the straw purchaser is a woman buying a gun for a man who cannot purchase it. I personally met a young lady who did that, and a few months later, the person she bought the gun for shot and killed her with that gun she bought as a straw purchaser. Laws that restrict abusers' access to firearms save lives, according to the Giffords Law Center. States, the states that restrict the states that restrict access by guns to by abusers subject to domestic violence restraining orders have a have seen a 13% reduction in firearm intimate partner homicides. Importantly, these laws can be further strengthened by closing additional loopholes. More than half more than half of all intimate partner homicides, okay. More than half of all intimate partner homicides are committed by dating partners. Research shows that when states broaden, okay, um, I have, the article has disappeared here for a second. So I already know what some of it says. We're going to return to the article as soon as it pops up again. There are a lot of jurisdictions around that do not, they do not uh, interpret the law in such a way that if you have a stalking partner or if you don't have a um, child with a person, if you have never lived together before, there are certain states that do not, pay, will not paper the state. I said states. There are certain jurisdictions who, are, who will decline to paper the case for you because the person stalking you and threatening you, it has never been your legal spouse or your baby's, uh, your baby daddy or um, someone that you live with or were married to. So some states allow for dating. Some jurisdictions, I keep saying states, some jurisdictions allow for um, dating. Some jurisdictions extend the domestic violence law interpreted by the judge or, or the um, jurisdiction as something that should extend to these people. Other states are very restrictive about it and they don't um, and they don't allow it altogether. But the Giffords Law Center wants those states that are not doing it correctly, they want them to change the law so that if someone is threatening you on Facebook and they show up at your and you've never really seen them before and they show up at your job and, you know, pull their coat back and they have a pistol in their pocket, 
the Giffords Law Center wants the victim to be able to file against the person even though they've never had sex, maybe never spoken on the phone. This is part of what they are, they are advocating for. So my article has reappeared, and we have about 10 minutes left. So um, we talked about the background, uh, background checks that have sorted out people who have convicted, who've been convicted of domestic violence. However, the Giffords Law Center wants the laws to change so that there are no straw purchasers and that there are not uh, background checks are required in all states so that an abuser doesn't circumvent the law. That's some of what we were talking about. I appreciate um, your listening to me while I straighten that little, little technical glitch out. So states that require that abusers provide proof that they actually relinquish their firearms are linked to a 16% reduction in intimate partner gun violence. So disarming prohibited people is a hot link here. I've gone from straw buyers to what happens to if you get the domestic violence charges, then the Giffords Law Center wants these people to relinquish their weapons. On a previous show, we discussed that relinquishing your weapons varies from state to state. Some states, the domestic violence victim has to point out that this is the weapon that he used. Other states, the police come into the home and any weapons that they see that they can eyeball can be removed. Additionally, current federal law does not prohibit people convicted of misdemeanor stalking crimes from having guns. One study of female murder victims in 10 cities found that 76% of women murdered and 85% who survived a murder attempt by a current or former intimate partner experienced stalking in the year preceding the murder. Given that stalking is a strong predictor, a strong predictor of future violence, closing the so-called stalking gap could protect women from intimate partner homicide. Laws that are comprehensive, that comprehensively protect victims of domestic violence enjoy broad bipartisan support. Isn't that good to know in this climate of um, Republican versus Democrat? A 2017 survey found that 81% of Americans support laws prohibiting a person subject to a domestic violence restraining order from, from having a gun for the duration of the, or, the order. The Gifford article here points out the summary of the federal law, the Lautenberg Amendment. The Lautenberg Amendment prohibits people convicted of certain domestic violence crimes from buying or owning a gun. The federal prohibition that applies to domestic violence misdemeanors was adopted in 1996 and is commonly known as the Lautenberg Amendment. So in addition, the offender must fit one of the following criteria. This is the federal law. Be a current or former spouse, parent, or guardian of the victim. That's important to know because sometimes a stepfather is a legal guardian. They have to share a child in common with the victim. Be a current or former cohabitant with the victim as a spouse, parent, or guardian. Be similarly situated to a spouse, parent, or guardian of the victim. Then the article talks about the use of protection orders. Protective orders and prohibited purchasers. I mentioned those earlier They're very often called straw buyers. Federal law also prohibits some abusers who are subject to protective orders from purchasing or possessing firearms and ammunition. The prohibition applies only 
if the protective order was issued after notice to the abuser and a hearing, and only if the order protects an intimate partner of the abuser or a child of the abuser or intimate partner. An intimate partner includes a current or former spouse, a parent of a child in common with the abuser, or an individual with whom the abuser does or or has cohabited cohabitated with. Again, there are loopholes here that were probably not foreseeable because of the impact of social media on stalking and dating. Notification to domestic violence offenders. The Violence Against Women and Department of Justice Reauthorization Act of 2005 required that states and local governments as a condition of certain funding to certify that their judicial administration policies and practices included notification to domestic violence offenders of both of the federal firearm prohibitions mentioned above any applicable related federal, state, or local laws. The 2005 Act does not, however, require states or local governments to establish a procedure for the surrender of firearms by the abusers. States that restrict guns by domestic violence misdemeanors. States have closed the gaps in federal law pertaining to abusers who commit misdemeanor crimes of domestic violence by enacting laws that prohibit domestic violence misdemeanors not covered by federal law from buying or possessing guns or ammunition, authorize or require surrender of guns or ammunition after conviction of a domestic violence misdemeanor, and require reporting domestic violence offender identities to databases used for firearm purchase background checks. And earlier on, we mentioned that over 300,000 people were caught trying to purchase guns through the, um, through the background check system who had no business acquiring them. Uh, we have about five minutes to go. You're listening to Victims to Victorious. My name is Angel Fall, and we're looking at the connection between the pandemic and domestic violence. 30 states in the District of Columbia also prohibit purchase or possession of firearms or ammunition by at least some people convicted of misdemeanor domestic violence offenses. Um, Alabama, California, these are for our listeners. Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, District of Columbia, Hawaii, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maine, Maryland, Minnesota, Nebraska, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Oregon. I'm broadcasting from Ohio. Ohio is not on the list. Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, Washington, and West Virginia. So, so keep in mind if you are living in some of these places. I, I also did a show where uh, about the loving to death, the domestic violence, where I said some states are safer to live than others, and you just heard me give that list. Seven states require the relinquishment of firearms by all people convicted of firearm-prohibiting crime. That would be California, Connecticut, Hawaii, Massachusetts, Nevada, New York, and Pennsylvania. And I have disclosed previously, I was in court one day when a man, an older white gentleman, was convicted and asked to surrender the firearms. But again, the way the firearms are surrendered and confiscated is practiced differently in each jurisdiction. And of course, the NRA people have propaganda out there saying that the federal government is going to come in and take your weapons. So we've had a really interesting hour here. I have tried to tie in the pandemic with words from 
United Nations official Gutierrez with with a description of what domestic violence looks like when he's not putting his hands on you. He could be using a gun to threaten you. He could be committing, he or she could be committing uh, emotional abuse against you, using the social isolation. Now, your, your abuser, if you are being victimized, can increase the tension and the coercion against you. So if you are um, listening to me and you know of someone who needs help, and if they are in New York City, they can call 1-800-942-6906, which continues to be the epicenter of the pandemic, 1-800-942-6906. That is the domestic violence hotline in New York City. So as I stay in isolation, I want all the listeners to stay safe. Get a mask, buy a mask, use a scarf, wash your hands more frequently, carry hand sanitizer with you in the car. If you have to go to the grocery store, sanitize your hands when you come out the store. Better still wear gloves. Um, Some of the grocery stores now, everyone who grabs a cart must clean it off. Other stores, the the cart boys, which my son is one, uh, they wipe them off as you're coming into the store. Be safe, and thank you for listening to Victims to Victorious. My name is Angel Fall. This has been a show dedicated to the domestic violence abusers, uh, domestic violence victims, not their abusers. Let's see their abusers thrown in jail. Let's see their abusers be um, prohibited from purchasing weapons, especially in the United States, where most women who die at their hands of their abusers are dead because of gunshot wounds. I'm Angel Fall. Follow me on Twitter. And thanks for listening to the Black Talk Radio Network.